Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our Sunday morning gathering. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. If I'm being honest, last week was heavy. Last week was a little bleak for me. It was a little hard for me. It was uh, discouraging for me. And I was growing increasingly frustrated because I felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel, if anybody's ever been in a place like that. Because there was this tangible disconnect from what I knew to be true with how I felt. I think... Most of us are probably familiar with this idea of there being, of there being things that we know to be true. I was trying to lean into and, and grab hold of Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I, I, was, I was leaning into that promise and, and trying to unload the things that were heavy upon my heart with the Lord, but it just seemed like I was growing more weary and more burdened. <laughs> As the week progressed, and uh, it, was a, it was a depressing place to be. And so uh, I, I want to kind of dig into the scriptures this morning. I want to look at some stories here, um, because I often will reiterate the truth that we can't be led by our emotions because our emotions can be deceptive. <laughs> but in contrast to that statement, I need you to know that our emotions are actually important. God didn't design us to be robotic, kind of emotionless creatures. Uh, While we can't always trust what we feel, we can't always trust our emotions, it's foolish to think that God doesn't care about how we feel. Um, And maybe some of you can kind of connect with this. Maybe you've never struggled with this. If this is not you, um, God bless you, but... I think I, I can struggle with knowing that God loves me and feeling like he loves me. I don't know if you guys have, have been in that place. Um, but it, it's the disconnect between those two things that I believe even grieves the heart of the Lord. And I want to dig into, like, what do we do? How do we deal with discouragement? What do we do when we know... Um, when what we know doesn't line up with how we feel, where we know that God is good, but we don't always feel like he's good. And we know that he's trustworthy, but we don't feel like we can trust him. And when he allows us to walk through hard situations and we don't understand why, uh, I want us to kind of approach God with a mentality of, um, I don't want to say that wrong, so I'm not going to say it the way that it was in my head. Adam and I were talking about this the other day because we were mentioning something and I was saying something and it came out and it was just completely theologically inaccurate. And I was like, you know what? Don't listen to that. That's not the way that, that's not right. (laughs) You understood the sentiment, but uh, anyway, I just want to be careful um, with those things. And so there's this mantra in our culture. And you've probably heard it before. I've probably uh, shared this before. This isn't a message that I'm sharing this morning that is necessarily new to me. In fact, the last time I approached this uh, passage of scripture and this particular topic in general was exactly two years ago. 
if you go look at our podcast or, or whatnot, you'll see it was actually, evidently, we did men's retreat a, a few days earlier that particular year, and it was coming right off of the heels of men's retreat, and I can't even recall exactly what was so tumultuous that week, but uh, I was having a rough week, and I <laughs> was encouraged by this same passage of scripture, and so I came back to it again, and this isn't, I'm not really... I don't intentionally recycle sermon material because I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to preach. This is just where the Lord led me. Um, but there's this mantra in our culture that uh, it's probably popularized by like Disney movies or something like that. I'm not super familiar with a lot of Disney movies. I didn't grow up watching Disney movies. Uh, but this thing of uh, following your heart, following your dreams, and uh, it's this, this kind of sentiment like you should follow your heart. You should do what feels right in a sense. What, what makes sense to you, what feels good to you, that's what you should do. If it feels right, do it. Um, the problem with that mentality is that the scripture warns us that our hearts are actually wicked and deceitful. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet in, in Jeremiah 17, would say that the heart is deceitful above all things, that it's desperately wicked, and who can know it? <laughs> And I think a lot of the times when we make decisions based solely upon how we feel, we wind up making really, really, really dumb decisions. I mean, the majority of people that drive a brand new sports car with 89 monthly payments, right? <laughs> Felt really good when they got behind that sports car and they were like, yeah, this is fun. Vroom, 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 vroom. It felt really good. And they make dumb decisions. <laughs> if that's you, please don't feel personally attacked. I have made very poor financial decisions in the past, motivated entirely uh, around vehicles. <laughs> I've gotten better. I've made better financial decisions. Oh. I'll show you my P&L, and you can agree with me. Um, no. <laughs> wow. Well, anyway. Ah. Uh, Jesus, help me here. I have a couple friends that I can't really resonate with them in this regard, but they struggle with social anxiety. Uh, that is not me. I don't struggle with social anxiety at all. In fact, I probably thrive off of it. I, I get energy out of making other people anxious. And <laughs> so the, that might be a reason why a lot of these friends don't want to hang out with me anymore. I like to put them in awkward situations, but I do have friends in particular that really struggle being around crowds, would struggle being around people, and, and I, think, uh, <laughs> I think I've shared sentiment before. It's like, dude, don't be anxious. Like, there's nothing to be worried about. There's nothing to be fearful of, and, and if they're Christian friends of mine, I've probably even weaponized the scriptures against them. And actually, Jesus commands us not to be anxious, so just suck it up. How many of you guys know that that's not helpful? Maybe you're, maybe you're one of these anxious people here. And it's like somebody telling you not to worry about it causes you to worry about it more. Is that anybody in here? I mean, the same place is like if you're depressed and you're struggling and you got your buddy that comes up and just puts their arm around you and says, you know what, cheer up. It's not that bad. It's like, oh, man, thanks. I didn't try that. Like... I didn't, I didn't just try to be happy. It's not like depressed or discouraged people are like, man, I just love this. I think there's some weird people or anyway. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not just sitting wallowing in a state of depression because you know what? I love the way it makes me feel. 
but it doesn't work to just cheer up. Does, that, does anybody connect with what I'm saying here? But then I read the scriptures, and I see what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, where he says, be joyful always, or rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then he says, don't quench the spirit. But there have been days, friends, where I haven't felt the slightest bit of joy. Quite contrary to being joyful always, there have been, there have been moments where the last thing I wanted to do was pray, or I tried to pray and I couldn't pray. And there's certainly, certainly days where I don't feel like giving thanks for everything that the Lord has placed in front of me, including the difficult things. But yet that's the command of Scripture. I almost feel like Paul is like that friend that comes up next to me. He's like, dude, you're sad, buddy? Just cheer up. Be joyful. It's like, oh, you're anxious? Don't be anxious. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have all this hard stuff in your life right now? Be thankful for it. And the fleshly part of Pastor Nate wants to punch that guy in the face. <laughs> right? Uh, am I the only... Anybody else, please tell me you guys feel that on some level. Okay, I got, I got a couple hands here. It's like, <laughs> don't do that. If you have a friend that is trying to give you good counsel and is coming alongside of you, especially if he's coming alongside you with scripture, maybe he's not doing it in the best way, but don't punch him in the face because that friend's probably me and I will try to do better. <laughs> Did you just say you'd punch me back? <laughs> I can't imagine Adam ever punching me. I can't imagine what kind of context that would happen. I've punched Adam in the face before and broke his glasses. It was an accident. I should, well. It's up for interpretation. God has created you and I as emotional beings because we are created in his image and you need to know that God experiences emotions as well. He is capable of experiencing joy. He's capable of being grieved. These are real attributes and aspects of the Lord and they're not contrary to one another. God created you and I in his image. Our emotions exist for a reason. They can't always be trusted. They shouldn't be the, the final factor. But God cares about what you feel and how you feel it. You need to know that this morning. And so, I think it's unhealthy. I think it's unsustainable to ignore what you feel and how you feel it. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and we're going to talk about what we do when our feelings don't match up with what we know to be true. And we're going to look at the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And uh, I'm a big proponent of not reading ourselves into a scriptural narrative that isn't necessarily about us. And so uh, I make this statement at the forefront of 
kind of our, our, our discussion this morning as we look at the life of Elijah, we're gleaning from his life. We're looking at a situations and circumstance that he was put in and how the Lord responded to it. And we understand that James tells us that Elijah was a man just like you and I. That he operated in the same capacity, uh, you know, with the same resources and access to the Father as we can. And uh, I think that's just interesting. I think it's important to know that Elijah just wasn't like super prophet, you know, because his mom was an angel or something like that. Okay, that gets weird. But uh, (laughs) Elijah was a man who had a relationship with God. And we are men and women that have relationships with God. And uh, I think that we can learn so much from his life and his interactions with others. And in First, First Kings, not First Corinthians, and First, we're going to get back to First Corinthians next week. I'm excited about that. But I said that last week, I think, and then it was going to be this week. And we'll get there. Maybe I shouldn't uh, make definitive statements like that. We'll get there. But we're in First Kings, and uh, in First Kings 18, we see this kind of epic showdown with the prophet Elijah and uh, the false prophets of Baal, where he's on the mountain and, right, uh, they they decide we're going to determine which God is really God, Uh, whether it's Baal or if it's the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to kind of have this showdown and you'll have your sacrifice, I'll have my sacrifice, we'll build altars. And they say, whichever God answers by fire is the one who is God. And the prophets of Baal are kind of frantically cutting themselves, dancing around, doing the whole thing for hours upon hours on end. And Elijah's there just kind of uh, antagonizing them. And uh, nothing's happening. And then Elijah gets to his kind of time in the spotlight and he commands him to dig a trench. And he, he asks him to bring buckets of water. And up until in this point, Israel is in the middle of a drought uh, because Elijah told the king, the wicked king Ahab, that it's not going to rain until I say it is. And so he prayed to the Lord, and then their drought came upon the land. And so he literally prayed, God, don't let it rain, and then it didn't rain. I have been praying for the mantle of Elijah for so long so I can just command it to snow when I want it to. The Lord has not answered that prayer. That's a joke. I haven't actually like asked for the mantle of Elijah, but now I'm seriously contemplating it now. Um, that would be pretty great. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. This is why the Lord doesn't trust me with certain things. <laughs> but we have this kind of showdown, and uh, what eventually happens is the Lord answers Elijah's prayer with fire and consumes his sacrifice, and it's this big hooray, and they they wind up taking all the prophets of Baal and slaughtering them, and it's really intense, it's really graphic, it's really insane, and the the nation of Israel comes to this place where they're repenting, they're bowing down, saying that the Lord, he is God, they're recognizing Yahweh as the one true God, it's the moment that Elijah has been waiting for, it's his definition of revival, if you will, Elijah prays then, and the drought ends, the rains come, And that would be kind of like the perfect end to a movie, right? That would be like the the perfect, like happily ever after moment. Like you have this climatic experience, this great resolution. But that's not the end of Elijah's story because just a a few verses later, not even a few verses later, we, we turn the page. We change the chapter. We pick up his story in 1 Kings chapter 19. 
Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel and Ahab are bad guys. <laughs> so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, good guy, to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. We've got Elijah here dealing with discouragement, dealing with disappointment, and I think even full-blown depression. I don't think somebody's praying to the Lord that they might die if they're not depressed. You see, Elijah was disappointed. He had expected nationwide revival. He was expecting people to turn back to God after this mighty display of power on Mount Carmel. Surely Ahab and Jezebel, they were going to be repentant. They were going to be dethroned. There was going to be this massive upheaval uh, of, of kind of the, the, crazy, the craziness that was going on. This is kind of the moment that Elijah has spent his life, his ministry preparing for. The last three and a half years is there's been, the heavens have been shut up and, and, and ministry has been hard, but this was kind of the breakthrough moment, if you will. This was when things were going to change. This is when there was going to be, uh, you couldn't deny this, right? Like this had to be the turning point, but then it wasn't. See, I think disappointment is the result of unmet expectations, I think Elijah got bummed out because he was anticipating something that God never promised. God did a mighty work. Elijah was faithful to do what God was asking him to do, but he had a different idea of what was supposed to happen than the Lord did. And it was contingent upon other people's response, not upon what the Lord was going to do. He was disappointed and, and that braids discouragement, right? You see, uh, like the literal word discouragement, you kind of break it down. It's like a lack of courage, right? <laughs> you see Elijah running for his life. This is the dude that just faced down 850 false prophets. He's the dude that called out the king to his face, told him what he was doing was wrong and told him that it wasn't going to rain again. It's pretty intense. Like, you just don't do that in, in the ancient Near East. You probably get killed for just doing that. He's the same guy that prayed to the Lord and the heavens shut up for three and a half years. Like, Elijah was a bad dude. Like, I, I don't think he was like, a bad like in a cool way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not like bad guy, good guy. Like I was just distinguishing. Like, he, was, he was intense. Now he's running in fear. Because this girl Jezebel was swearing by these gods that he just knew weren't actual gods. He just saw them defeated, that she was going to kill him. And I don't think he was threatened so much by the words of Jezebel. I don't think he was so discouraged or disheartened by what she said that she was going to do. 
I think he was more discouraged and disheartened because he had lost hope that God could do anything to turn back the hearts of these people. If the fire on Mount Carmel wasn't going to work, if that wasn't going to do something drastic enough to change people's hearts, what possibly could? I think, honestly, Elijah was dealing with discouragement because people were so flaky. And then you compound that with somebody saying, yeah, I'm going to kill you. That sucks. But I think he lost hope. I think he lost confidence. I think discouragement is directly tied into this disappointment that he was feeling. I think it's I think it stems and it manifests in a way of lack of trust for the Lord. Elijah's depressed. He's praying that he might die. This is the dude that God hears him when he prays. I don't think this was just him being sassy and like being dramatic. I think Elijah really didn't want to be alive anymore. He was so discouraged. He asked the Lord, he says, this is enough. I can't do this anymore. Let me die, God. <laughs> I'm so thankful God doesn't answer all of our prayers. <laughs> or at least with the answers that we want him to answer them with. Right? I'm sure Elijah probably, because if you don't know this about Elijah, he actually doesn't die. He's one of the few men in scripture that we have, like an example where he doesn't taste death in that sense, like, like we do. He gets taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. It's pretty cool. I'm wondering if on his way up there, he's like in that chariot of fire and he's, he's getting caught up into heaven. He's, he thinks about this time when he prayed underneath a broom tree that he might die. Being thankful, God, thank you for not answering that one. We pick up the narrative in verse 4. It says, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors. It says, Then he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. I love that. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head with some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and he was strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I don't know what kind of cliff bar or Lara bar... <laughs> Somebody needs to get on that and market that to go 40 days uh, <laughs> off, of, uh, off of what kind of energy drink he was given. I guess it was water, but uh, supernaturally empowered by the Lord. That's pretty cool. But I love this because the Lord ministers to Elijah's physical needs before he even ministers to his spiritual ones. And I, I, it doesn't always happen in this capacity. It doesn't always happen this way. But I, I've always come back to this passage of scripture and taken such comfort in the fact that the Lord lets him take a nap. 
not like once, but twice here. And this isn't like an excuse for laziness. This isn't a license to just be like, you know, do whatever you want whenever you want or be a glutton or something like this. But I, I think our emotional health has a lot to do with our physical health. I think there's a reason why God instructs us to rest. I think there's a reason why God instructs us um, to, uh, or, or even here, he cares about, he cares about us eating. <laughs> he cares about us, uh, he cares about our nourishment here. He says, the Lord ministers to Eliza's physical needs. And sometimes uh, in order to get out of whatever funk we're in, you just need a good night's sleep. <laughs> you need to take a nap. You need to have a snack. My son, if you have met my son when he first wakes up, if you wake up my son from a nap, uh, Simeon, he is the most hangry little sucker that I have ever met. It is like, it's terrifying. It's like, I have to have a cheese stick ready for when he starts waking up. Or, or it's just, it's colossal meltdown. I think rest is important. It's not a sign of weakness. I shared this story, I think maybe one of the last times I, I, I tackled this passage of scripture, but Adam and I went to a concert one time, and it was a fun concert, and it was in Portland, Oregon, it was the middle of August, it was in this heat wave, and it was the, like, I think it was like some of the hottest temperatures on record in Portland ever. I think it was like 108 degrees or something like that, with 125% humidity, and uh, the venue that we went to this punk rock show in uh, didn't have air conditioning. The air conditioning was broken. And we're, we're kind of at this punk rock show. And a punk rock concert is a little different than like your average, like easy listening, you know, acoustic folk music that Pagosa's familiar with. There's a lot of movement and people are, are excited to be there. And uh, <laughs> uh, this particular band that we went to go see had two vocalists. Uh, they're pastors. I don't want you getting like the wrong idea of, of us going to these punk rock shows. It's not like, it's a Christian band. Uh, but we're, we're, there, we're there at this concert and there's guys like swinging from the pipes and the ceilings and stuff like that. It's pretty intense and people are going hard. And, but like, kids are like going to pass out. It's hot. I've never been that hot in my life. And uh, the vocalists are going back and forth. Like one is saying, man, don't be a pansy. Like, we want to see you go as hard as you can. And the other one's super nice. He's the pastor. He says, you guys, if you need to take a break, like get a glass of water, like just go in the back and sit down. It'll be okay. And the other one's like, no, I want to see you open up this pit. And <laughs> get a little crazy. And, and the idea is that rest doesn't make you weak. It makes you smart. Rest doesn't make you less productive. Uh, I think it's very, I think, you know, we don't need to pull up research or statistics. When you're well-rested, you're going to do a better job, and you're going to get more stuff done. And God cares about rest. I think that's why he modeled for it for us in creation. I think that's why he established it as a command. And I think that's why he promises us it as his beloved. He promises to give us rest. And anybody that knows me is sitting here listening to these things come out of my mouth and saying, Nate, you're really bad at this. I know that. I'm not trying to pretend like I have this mastered and figured out. That's why I'm preaching it again and again and again, because this is something that the Lord is teaching me again for the 
who knows how many times. <laughs> um, rest is important, friends. And if we want to have if we want to have good emotional health, um, we got to be rested. We have to be nourished too. I'm not even about to talk, tackle the, like the biblical topic of nourishment because I really don't want you guys holding that over my head. I had a donut right before I came up here to preach. <laughs> Lord needs to work on me. Got to start somewhere. Um, we pick up back in verse nine. He says, then he went into the cave and he spent the night. And so this is, on Horeb, the mountain of God, which uh, you might know as Mount Sinai, if you're not familiar with that. There's another guy that wound up in a cave or the cleft of the rock on Mount Sinai. His name was Moses. And then Exodus 33, you can see where uh, he cries out to the Lord for his glory to pass him by. He has this powerful encounter with the Lord, right, on the side of Mount Sinai. A lot of scholars um, and I, I say this cautiously because we're not exactly sure, but there's lots of speculation out there that this is the same mountain, um, that this is the, could even be the same cleft of the rock that Moses was in, uh, this cave that Elijah is in. It doesn't say that for sure. It's just interesting to note. But it says here in verse 9, it says, He went into the cave to spend the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What am I doing here, God? <laughs> like, 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 what am I doing here? You, like, you told me to come here. <laughs> you gave me some of that superfood, and now I'm here. <laughs> what do you mean, what am I doing here? But he replies this. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left now they are trying to kill me too. Take note of this. Elijah gets alone with God. And the Lord begins to ask him this question. And he didn't ask it for the Lord's sake. It wasn't like God didn't know, but he asks it for Elijah's sake. And he gives Elijah space to vent to the Lord, to be honest, to be open, to be raw with the Lord. There's something you need to know. The Lord is not intimidated by whatever you bring to the table. Whatever you bring to the conversation, whatever you're actually feeling about God and about the situation you're in, he's not caught off guard by it. He already knows. And anything that he ever asks you in the secret place, he's not asking for his benefit. He's asking for you because he wants to be the safe place where you can actually come to him about the heavy things. You see, venting to others... I vent to Kelly all the time, and it's not always super productive or super healthy sometimes. Sometimes it can be, just to get things off my chest, but venting to others seldom solves the problem that's weighing on our souls. More often than not, I think it leads to gossip. I think it leads to sin. You guys been there where you're venting to somebody? I'm bad at this. I'm venting. I'm trying to get something off of my chest, and Realize how quickly it turns into slander and gossip. The Lord has to bring conviction there. But I think when we talk with the Lord and we vent to the Lord about what's going on, I think it's wildly productive. 
Elijah was essentially saying here in 1 Kings 19, you know, he's saying, I've done what you've asked, God. I've, I've done it all for you. I've been, I've been faithful. I've been consistent. I love you, God, but it's been pointless. I don't know why I'm still doing this. Now I'm all alone and they want to kill me. It's got me nowhere. I'm in better, I'm in worse shape than when I first started this whole thing out. And basically, this kind of sucks. Kind of reminds me some of the Psalms. If we read David's words in the Psalms, it's kind of like his prayer journal. Some of the times he, he, he says some things and it's like, God, why have you forsaken me? Or, or God, where are you? <laughs> or what's going on? And I, I, I kind of see Elijah here as talking with the Lord, being honest, being vulnerable here. I just want you to, I want to encourage you. I want to give you permission. It's okay to talk to God like that. I'm not saying come before him with irreverence or, or anything like that, but let's be honest with the Lord because we're really good about pretending to be all, all right with church people. I can see you around town. I can, I can say, hey, what's up? I can give you a hug. I can ask you how you're doing. You can put on a smile and be like, man, I'm doing really good. I'm doing great. When in reality, everything internally is just combusting or falling apart. We can't do that with the Lord. And it's really a waste of time when we try to. Does that make sense? But again, in verse 11, it says, um, this is what the Lord says. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And this great and powerful wind tears the mountains apart and shatters the rocks before the Lord. He says, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He responds the same way. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. It says, the Lord says to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Gives him some other instructions about kind of the future of the prophetic ministry, but just to focus on a few important things this morning, to give us some, some insight and some instruction. I think rest is important. I think being honest and open with the Lord about how you feel and where you are emotionally is important, but neither one of those things actually provide a solution. You can get all the rest. You can have the best diet. You, you, you can be good on that front and still be discouraged and depressed. You can be honest with the Lord and you can voice all of your frustrations and tell him about everything that's going wrong and not get unstuck. I think they're helpful, they're necessary, but what Elijah needs more than anything in this moment is a personal encounter with the Lord. And I think the only thing that gets us unstuck, I think the only thing that brings us out of this place of despair and this place of discouragement and depression is a personal encounter with the Lord where we hear his voice. You see, there's all this commotion I think we expect to see God in the fire. We expect to see him in the wind and the shaking. 
and he's not there. Right? All these ways that God has moved before, that, that Elijah probably is familiar with. You know, he just saw God move and answer by fire. Surely God was going to be in the fire. Surely he'd be in the rushing wind, right? Surely he would be in this earthquake. And he wasn't in any of those things, but he, he chooses to speak in a gentle whisper. The Hebrew actually doesn't even say gentle whisper. It talks about a silent whisper. Speaks in the absence of all of the big dramatic demonstrations. We wonder, we often look at this and we wonder, why did God choose to use a whisper? Because in order to hear a whisper, in order to hear a still, small voice, you've got to be intentionally listening for it. It doesn't happen by mistake. It doesn't happen by accident, right? It doesn't happen just because you were kind of passing by It requires us to slow down. It requires us to be quiet. It requires us to actually listen. It's important to clear distractions. It's important to be intentional. I'm not saying that everybody has to take like a 40-day journey and find a cave on the mountainside in order to have a, a moment with the Lord, but I do think there's something about getting by yourself with God. Whether we live in a place where it's perfect to do that. Go on a drive out to Williams or go on a hike or, or something. And this isn't in lieu of church or something like that. There's a, but I think there's, there's probably a lot of us in here that need a day that need a moment where we take off the pastor hat, where we take off the mom hat, where we take off the dad hat, take off the husband or the wife hat. And I say that not to walk away from responsibilities or something like that, but to approach the Lord as a child of God and simply hear from him. because I think a lot of us probably vent a lot to the Lord. We tell him about everything that's wrong, but we don't know how to stop to shut up and listen sometimes. I know this is true for me. This is something I struggle with, that I can complain to God. And it's almost like I've had him just be like, are you done yet? I believe he wants to speak. I believe he wants to meet with us. And oftentimes when he speaks, he gives us an assignment. He gives us something to do. I see this here with Elijah. God gave instruction to Elijah. He gave him an assignment. And I think the times where I felt most discouraged were the times where I didn't have any direction. I think a lot of the times discouragement and frustration come from the place of not knowing what to do. Anybody ever been in that place where you've had a decision and you're seeking the Lord? 
wanting to know what it is, what you're supposed to do, and you feel like, man, I'm just sitting in this waiting game, and I don't know what's supposed to happen. I don't know if I'm supposed to go left or I'm supposed to go right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do differently, but you know things as they are are not okay, and you need, to, you need something to change, but you're, you're kind of stuck in this rut. You're stuck in this place because you don't know what to do. I think it's easy for the enemy and ourselves to distract and discourage us when we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Because no one likes feeling pointless. No one likes feeling useless. I think Elijah's breakthrough here comes uh, when the focus begins to shift off of himself and it begins to be kind of uh, redirected into what God is asking him to do and what God's prepared for him to do. I think it recognizes that there's a future generation of prophetic ministry and Elisha <laughs> that requires his attention. And I, I love kind of just this kind of beautiful portrayal here of where God ministers to Elijah on the mountain and it prepares him to see breakthrough uh, in a future generation. But it didn't just come about because Elijah sucked it up, Right? It wasn't just that he kind of like, oh man, you know what? I've got to figure this out. I'm going to pull up my pants and uh, pull up my pants. What did, where was I going with that, Nate? <laughs> just wanted to see if you guys were listening. He's going to put on his big boy pants or something like that and just get back out there. I think that there is supernatural encouragement that comes when we hear God's voice. And it's something that I can't do for you. It's something a preacher can't do for you. It's something that a prophet isn't going to do for you. And I know that we just had prophetic ministry and we, we learned about hearing from God for others. But this wasn't something that somebody else had a word for Elijah. And I, I love, I, we love the gift of prophecy. We want to practice that. But I believe some of us just need to hear from God. My prayer has been for those of you that have felt stuck for those of you that have felt like things aren't changing or things aren't going anywhere, that you would be encouraged by hearing his voice. Elijah was in this place where he felt like he was the only one left. He was the only, the only prophet of the Lord left. In fact, God will correct him and say, you know, actually there's, there's a lot more of you than you think there are. I think one of the primary tools of the enemy is isolation, trying to make you feel like your problem is unique to yourself. And it's just simply not the case. Would anybody here say that they're struggling with discouragement or depression or anything like that? I mean, I'll put up both hands. That's me. I saw a few hands go up. I guess nobody... Anyway. I just want you to know that you're not alone. That this isn't something that is, like, I think there's a stigma about it. Like, somehow you're not a good enough Christian if you're discouraged. They're like, maybe the blood of Jesus didn't work in your life, but it works in everybody else's life. This isn't something that is, uh, this isn't something that I want you to feel like you're, you're alone in. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to find more of our messages, get connected with our church, or partner with us financially, you can find us at opendoorpagosa.com. 
Thanks again and have a blessed week.